for the next seven sessions, I want you to pay close attention. These are those messages that I want you to remember for the rest of your life. This is the foundation of Christianity. That's why I call them seven fundamental principles to live by. Not just to know, but to live by. Jesus made some controversial statements. They were principles. They were controversial because they challenged the status quo. But as hard as some of them may sound, they are true. They are principles. A principle is the fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. A principle stands, like it or not, it stands. Your attitude toward a principle does not change its validity. You may not like a principle, it remains a principle. You may decide to follow it, you may decide to ignore it, a principle remains a principle. It rather changes you. Your attitude towards a principle changes you. It doesn't change the principle. A value is a principle on the inside of us. A principle becomes value when you internalize it. A principle is the truth on the outside, when you know it. But when you decide to make it part of your life, it becomes a value. So values are principles applied. Principles remains principles as long as they are known or written somewhere. They become values when we live by them. In other words, a principle is a known truth. A value is an applied truth. When you know it, it's a principle. When you apply it, it becomes value. So I will give you principles, but I'm praying that they will become values to you. You will apply them for the rest of your life. My prayer is that you will not only know the truth, but you will live by the truth. You will live by it. Jesus did not only come to die for us. He also came to live as a supreme example. So he did not just come to die. He came to set an example. To live a life as a reference for us. Jesus' life is the ultimate model for all humanity. Jesus' life was meaningful, purposeful, and impactful. What else do you want in life? Meaning. We all want meaning. We all want purpose, a sense of direction. What am I here for? An impact. We all want to make an impact into other people's lives. And Jesus filled all the three. His life was meaningful, purposeful, and impactful. His life was productive, effective, and attractive. Living like Jesus is the goal of all his followers. And even those who don't believe in him admit that his teachings are revolutionary. Even those who don't believe in Jesus still believe in his teachings. That they were really revolutionary. They may struggle to believe in him as God, but they know what he said was true. And the journey to becoming like Jesus is called discipleship. The journey to try to live like Jesus is called discipleship. So when Jesus left, 
He asked his followers to focus on one and one thing only, teaching people to become like him. We call that a great commission. Jesus left his disciples one mission, go in the world and make disciples. Go in the world and teach people to become like me. That was the whole purpose of the Great Commission. So, how do we become like Christ? How do we become like Christ? How was Christ? What made his life so meaningful, so fulfilling, and so impactful? Did he give us a prototype to follow? Did he give us guidelines or instructions to follow so that we can become like him? When he says, go and make disciples, how are we going to do it? Did he give us some instructions, some guidelines? Did he? The answer is yes. We are going to look at seven principles, seven statements Jesus made as prescriptions for those who want to live on purpose. Jesus gave seven principles as conditions to become his disciples. Seven principles to live by. Yes, he did give us prototype. He gave us a prototype. He gave us a reference to become like him. So, the first statement, the first principle that carries all the rest. You get this right, you get everything right. You get this first one right, your whole Christian life is based on the right foundation. You get this one principle right, all the six will make sense. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You get this right, you get life right. Let's go to the Bible. Mark chapter 12, 28, 29. One of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? This is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Living a meaningful life, a purposeful life, a fulfilling life is linked to loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So what is the correlation between one's love for God and the quality of life? How can those two things come together? If I love God and I always all, 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 all my, how does that affect my life? And I'm glad you've asked me that question. Your love for God affects your life significantly. Our love for God is not just a feeling. It's not a feeling. Even though our feelings can be involved, our love for God is expressed through obedience. John chapter 14 verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. John chapter 14 verse 21. The one who has my command and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I will love him. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. John 14, 23 to 24, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. Jesus made it clear that loving him cannot be separated from keeping his command. Or commands. Loving God and keeping his word are inseparable. Our love for God is expressed through our obedience to him. You may not feel anything for God, but if you obey his word, you love him. You may not feel like I love God, but if you just listen to his voice, you love him. And he's, he, he really doesn't care how you feel about him, as long as you do what he says. But I'm not saying feelings are excluded. You can feel. That's fine to feel. It's okay to feel. Those who love God are not those who feel the most. They are those who obey the most. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Love and obedience. Your friendship with Jesus depends on your obedience to his command. Jesus loves you and he has proven it at the cross. When he died for us. When he died for you, he proved, he, he did his part in the relationship. However, your friendship with him depends on you and not on him. Your intimacy with God depends on you. You may not feel God's presence, but your intimacy with him depends on us, not on him. The more you do what he has commanded you, the stronger your friendship with him will be. It doesn't mean God hates you when you sin or disobey him. Listen to this. Listen to this. Disobedience affects your love for God, not his love for you. Our disobedience affects our love for him, not his love for us. His love is unshakable. He loves us no matter what. It is our response to his love that determines our proximity to him. Not his response. Our response to his love affects our proximity. God demands all our love. All. He does not request it or need it. He demands it. I promise to be plain and honest with you. You can give it all or keep it all. You can love him with all your heart or keep your heart for other things. You can. He does not share with other gods. You give all your heart or you keep it for yourself. You can love him with all your soul. That means your emotions can be involved. There's no, nothing wrong with dancing or singing or crying in worship. Expressing our emotions is biblical. I, I even support it. Cry, sing, raise your hand. That's loving God with all your soul. It's okay to involve your mind and your emotions in, in, in your relationship with God. You can love him with all your mind. Because your love for God will change the way you think. It will change. It will affect your priorities. You can love him with all your strength. Those who love God will put all their effort to proving, proving their love to him. Our love for God requires all our strength. All, not half. All our strength. You can give it all or keep it all. Who is in a relationship now? Who is in a relationship now? Can you put your hands up if you're in a relationship? You have a friend or a spouse or something. Thank you. How would you feel if Angie comes to you, Gary, and says, you know, Gary, 
I do love you, but I truly have half of my love kept to myself. Uh, so I, I, I love you half, and just understand. Understand that it's just, that's how it is. Like, I, I love you half. W would you say, oh yeah, I also love you half. So let's just love each other half. <laughs> I, we know how it feels when you realize that someone doesn't give you their all. You, you know how it feels. You feel betrayed. You feel unappreciated. You feel neglected, rejected. Even if the person tries to give you some of their love, or let's say the best of their love, you still want all. We want all when it comes to relationships. And we don't expect God to demand all. We want to give God half and tell him, just, you know, God, just understand, you know, I'm a man, I'm a human being, you know. It's hard to give you all. It does not work like that. God wants all. Just like he has loved you by giving his all. He's expecting you to respond by giving your all. So let me give you some thoughts on obedience. We need to get this right. It's a life principle. Loving God with all is a life principle. First, God demands total obedience. Total obedience. You are called to choose if you want to love God or not. If you want to give him or not. If you want to follow him or not. Jesus expects total obedience. 1 Samuel 15.3 says, Now go, attack the Amalekites. And totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. The, the, the command was direct and clear. Go and do what? Destroy all. Chapter 15, 18, 8 to 9. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle and fat cows and lambs, everything that was good. These, they were unwilling, they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Do you see the difference? God said, destroy everything. They said, we can't kill the king. Let's spare the king. No, we can't kill all these fat, nice, good, healthy animals. Let's bring them with us. And let's just kill all the weak animals and all the rest, all the weak people. But let's take the strong one. King, even you put yourself in his, his shoes. You, you don't kill the king. You bring the king with you. At least you make him a slave. That's reasonable. Okay. Saul had a choice, choice to obey God fully or not. He chose to obey God partially with good motives. Partially with good motives. He spared the king and everything that was good. He intended to give those good things as offering to God. Good motive, isn't it? He thought it was reasonable not to kill the king. All those reasons were good, but they were not satisfactory to God. Partially obedience is disobedience to God. Hear what God said. 10 to 11. Then the word of God came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord, 
all that night why the king has obeyed partially. Let's continue the reading. I did obey the Lord, Saul said. He's now arguing his point. I did obey the Lord. I did something that the Lord asked me to do. I went on the mission. The Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. Did he? He didn't. And brought back Agag their king. <laughs> I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back the king. Come on, so. <laughs> you were not asked to bring back the king. You were asked to destroy completely even the king. The soldiers took sheep and... Now he's blaming other people. Not him, but the soldiers. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was devoted to... The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. Giving excuses. I brought them so that we can give them back to you. God, you need this so much. You poor God. We need to give you this. 2023. Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. You can't buy God. You can't bribe God. Obedience is better than all the money we give to him. It's better than all the service we serve him. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Full stop. It's over. Saul, sorry. Saul's good intentions did not save him. He was disqualified and replaced by David. You know the story. Those who are not completely obedient to God are disobedient. Those who do not love God with all, with their all, do not love him at all. You either love him fully or don't love him. You obey him fully or you don't obey him. So that's the first part. God demands total obedience. Let's take the second one. Let's take the second one. Sometimes God demands costly obedience. It's the honest truth. You know, I, I, I believe this is revolutionary. I believe your life will not be the same after this. I believe God is willing to transform us to become ambassadors of Christ on earth. There is power in obedience. Genesis chapter 22 verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Was this complicated? No, it was hard but simple. The instructions was clear. Go and kill your son. Is that complicated? No, that's simple. Look, let me say something. <laughs> let me say something. There is a difference between being hard and being complicated. Or there is a difference between being simple and being complex. It was not complex. He, it's not like, God, I didn't understand what you said. What did you say again? Can you repeat that? No, no, it was clear. He knew what God said. It's not like it was complex. It was not a complex order. It was clear. Something can be clear and hard. And something can be 
complicated and easy. Oh, maybe I'm going too far. Something can be complex but easy. It can be complex but easy to figure out and easy to do. But something can be very simple to understand. It's just simple. It's just go and kill your son. It's simple to understand. It's very hard to do. So I'm talking about something. God is always clear in his direction. Always straight. Like, this is what I don't want you to do. This is what I want you to do. Most of us, we know what God wants. And then Abraham said, I will obey. As hard as it was, he went, obeyed God. I'm not going to go into the theology of killing children. That's another for another day. <laughs> That's for another day. But the honest truth is, he obeyed God because God was speaking. He said, yes, I will do it. We know the story. God provided. Let's hear what God did. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's, Abraham offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also for those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Abraham's obedience made him the father of faith. Because he obeyed God, the reward, his legacy, will be known forever. Everyone who will ever believe in Jesus is the son or daughter of Abraham, including you and I. That's how great obedience was rewarded. Costly sacrifice always attracts great reward. Every time we sacrifice for God, he rewards us in a greater way. Jesus' sacrifice brought salvation to all humanity. Paul's sacrifice brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Many of Jesus' followers have sacrificed their dreams, their time, their resources for us to know the truth today. The reason why we know the truth today is there are people who died on their way to Africa, on their way to India, and their way to, to, to Amazon. There are people who have died sacrificing their lives so that the gospel can be preached. But the fruit of their sacrifice is what we are enjoying today. We cannot all give equally, but we can all sacrifice equally. I'm not expecting everybody to do the same thing or everybody to give the same, but the sacrifice can feel the same. My $20 can feel so painful than Doug's 2000 We can all sacrifice the same. We cannot all give the same. You can choose to live your safe, meaningless life or choose to live a sacrificial, meaningful, and fulfilling life. The choice is yours. There was a guy who was, living, was having an affair with his secretary at work, and God asked him to stop it. And he said, uh, God, what if I fire the girl? That would be easy. If I fire the girl, she will get out of my life, and everything will be fine. And God said to him, fire yourself. You leave the job, you leave the girl there. Go and repent to your wife. He fired himself. He resigned. Why? Obedience to God sometimes requires costly sacrifice. It could have been easy to fire the girl, isn't it? It could have been easier to fire the girl. But no, 
Sometimes obedience to God requires costly sacrifice. He fired himself to obey God and left the girl alone. Three, God always demands continuous obedience. Continuous obedience. Jesus obeyed the Father to death. Philippians chapter 2, 8 to 9. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on, the, on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Those who obey God to the end will be exalted with Jesus. Jesus has been exalted. He's sitting at the right hand of God on the throne. Then hear this. Hear this for you. Revelation 3.21. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on, the, on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. To anyone who will stay obedient till the end, there is a place with Jesus on his throne. There is glory coming for those who will obey Jesus till the end. Those who obey continuously will rule with Jesus forever. We will rule the earth. We will rule with Jesus on his throne if we continue in obedience. There is eternal reward for continuous obedience. Many things and many people will try to discourage you from following Jesus. You will face opposition. You will face persecution or rejection. Remember, nothing can be compared to sitting with Jesus on his throne. Nothing. I can't compare my car. I can't compare my job, my business. I can't compare the new girlfriend or new boyfriend. I can't compare my marriage. I can't compare any joy that the world can give to sitting on the throne with Jesus. There is no joy. There is no satisfaction. There is no meaning on earth that can surpass that. Sitting with Jesus on the throne. Is the highest, highest honor a human being can get. And he's saying, if you obey me till the end, I will give you space with me. I will give you a spot. You will sit with me on the throne to rule over the universe. You will rule with me. There is reward for obeying God now. It doesn't just end here. It doesn't just end here. There is a place on the throne with Jesus for those who obey him. All your financial sacrifices, your emotional sacrifices, your time investment will be rewarded by a place at the throne with Jesus. If this does not motivate you, then what else will? Ruling with Jesus. Ultimate reward for those who continue to obey. God is looking for people who won't give up on him. God is looking for people who won't give in to pressure. God is looking for people who won't give out following him. Don't give in. Don't give out. Don't give up. Jesus is looking for people who will obey continuously till the end. It can be tough and it will be tough. But the reward is worth the fight. He demands continuous obedience. Before I finish, I would say, one would say, does this mean whenever I sin, I lose my friendship with God? The answer is, whenever you sin or whenever you disobey, you lose your fellowship with God. You drift from him, not him. Drift from you. 
Whenever you disobey God, you don't lose your relationship. You are still a child of God. But you don't have the fellowship. You can't hear him clearly. You can't sense him well. You can't feel him because there is no fellowship. Fellowship and relationship, two different things. We lose intimacy when we disobey him. He loves you forever, of course. Do you have fellowship with him? Or you have lost fellowship? Or you've never experienced fellowship? You don't even know how it feels to have fellowship with God. Having fellowship with God is knowing, knowing who he is, listening to him, and living that space of life that you know, you know, you know, you know. You are in good terms with him. You have a fellowship. Can you restore fellowship with God? Can you restore your fellowship with God? Is there anything God is asking you to start doing straight away? Is there anything God is asking you to stop doing? Is there anything God is asking you to continue doing even though you feel like quitting? Obedience to God leads to a meaningful, purposeful, and impactful life. So the first, first principle is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Do you love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind? Do you? If you want to live a meaningful life, a purposeful life, an impactful life, this is the way. Just love God. 